Chapter Six of Charlotte Temple. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Charlotte Temple by Susanna Rosen. Chapter Six. An Intriguing Teacher. Madame Dupont was a woman every way calculated to take care of young ladies. Had that care entirely devoted on herself, but it was impossible to attend the education of a numerous school without proper assistance, and those assistants were not always the kind of people whose conversation and morals were exactly such as parents of delicacy and refinement would wish a daughter to copy. Among the teachers at Madame Dupont's school was Mademoiselle LaRue, who added to a pleasing person and insinuating address a liberal education and the manners of a gentlewoman. She was recommended to the school by a lady whose humanity overstepped the bounds of discretion, for though she knew Miss LaRue had eloped from a convent with a young officer, and on coming to England had lived with several different men in open defiance of all moral and religious duties, Yet, finding her reduced to the most abject want, and believing the penitence which she professed to be sincere, she took her into her own family, and from thence recommended her to Madame Dupont, as thinking the situation more suitable for a woman of her abilities. But Mademoiselle possessed too much of the spirit of intrigue to remain long without adventures. At church, where she constantly appeared, her person attracted the attention of a young man who was upon a visit at a gentleman's seat in the neighborhood. She had met him several times clandestinely, and being invited to come out that evening and eat some fruit and pastry in a summer-house belonging to the gentleman he was visiting, and requested to bring some of the ladies with her, Charlotte being her favorite, was fixed on to accompany her. The mind of youth eagerly catches at promised pleasure, pure and innocent by nature. It thinks not of the dangers lurking beneath those pleasures till too late to avoid them. When Mademoiselle asked Charlotte to go with her, she mentioned the gentleman as a relation, and spoke in such high terms of the elegance of his gardens, the sprightliness of his conversation, and the liberality with which he ever entertained his guests, that Charlotte thought only of the pleasure she should enjoy in the visit, not of the imprudence of going without her governess's knowledge, or of the danger to which she exposed herself in visiting the house of a gay young man of fashion. Madame Dupont was gone out for the evening, and the rest of the ladies retired to rest, when Charlotte and her teacher stole out at the back gate, and in crossing the field, were accosted by Montreville, as mentioned in the first chapter. Charlotte was disappointed in the pleasure she had promised herself from this visit. The levity of the gentlemen and the freedom of their conversation disgusted her. She was astonished at the liberties Mademoiselle permitted them to take, grew thoughtful and uneasy, and heartily wished herself at home again in her own chamber. 
Perhaps one cause of that wish might be an earnest desire to see the contents of the letter which had been put into her hand by Montreville. Any reader who has the least knowledge of the world will easily imagine the letter was made up of encomiums on her beauty and vows of everlasting love and constancy, nor will he be surprised that a heart open to every gentle, generous sentiment should feel itself warmed by gratitude for a man who professed to feel so much for her, nor is it improbable but her mind might revert to the agreeable person and martial appearance of Montreville. In affairs of love, a young heart is never in more danger than when attempted by a handsome young soldier. A man of indifferent appearance will, when arrayed in a military habit, show to advantage, but when beauty of person, elegance of manner, and easy method of paying compliments are united to the scarlet coat, smart cockade, and military sash, ah, well a day for the poor girl who gazes on him. She is in imminent danger, but if she listens to him with pleasure, tis all over with her, and from that moment she has neither eyes nor ears for any other object. Now, my dear sober matron, if a sober matron should deign to turn over these pages before she trusts them to the eye of a darling daughter, let me entreat you not to put on a grave face and throw down the book in a passion and declare, "'Tis enough to turn the heads of half the girls in England. I do solemnly protest, my dear madam, I mean no more by what I have here advanced than to ridicule those romantic girls who foolishly imagine a red coat and silver epaulette constitute the fine gentleman, and should that fine gentleman make a half a dozen fine speeches to them, they will imagine themselves so much in love as to fancy it a meritorious action to jump out of a two-pair-of-stairs windows, abandon their friends, and trust entirely to the honor of a man who perhaps hardly knows the meaning of the word, and if he does, will be too much of the modern man of refinement to practice it in their favor. Gracious heaven, when I think of the miseries that must rend the heart of a doting parent when he sees the darling of his age at first seduced from his protection and afterwards abandoned by the very wretch whose promises of love decoyed her from the parental roof. When he sees her poor and wretched, her bosom torn between remorse for her crime and love for her vile betrayer, when fancy paints to me the good old man stooping to raise the weeping penitent, while every tear from her eye is numbered by drops from his bleeding heart, my bosom glows with honest indignation, and I wish for power to extirpate those monsters of seduction from the earth. Oh, my dear girls, for to such only am I writing. Listen not to the voice of love, unless sanctioned by parental approbation. Be assured, it is now past the days of romance. No woman can be run away with contrary to her own inclination. Then kneel down each morning and request kind heaven to keep you free from temptation. Or should it please to suffer you to be tried, pray for fortitude to resist the impulse of inclination when it runs counter to the precepts of religion and virtue.
End of chapter 6. Recording by Richard Kilmer, Rio Medina, Texas.